0: Welcome to The Lowdown, KMXT's show dedicated to giving you the up-to-date information
1: we have available on the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's impacting life on Kodiak Island. The Lowdown will focus on facts as provided to us by local and
0: state officials. During this edition of the show, we give you access to local physicians and public health experts with information on COVID-19 and recommendations related to it. If you have a question for our guests, please email it to lowdown at kmxt.org or call KMXT at 486-3181.
1: Morning. Thank you for tuning into our Wednesday Doc of the Rock version of Lowdown. It, my recollection is correct. This may be the 20th or 21st version of the time we've gotten together on Wednesday morning to do this show. I don't think anybody would have thought it would have lasted this long, and frankly, I can't see an urgent need to end it anytime soon if our good medical professors are still willing to come in every week and answer questions from us and from members of the community. There's... Always something new for us to talk about. That said, I'd really like to thank you all for donating your time. Keep coming in as many as you have. Uh, thanks for Pam to Pam and to Jared for continuing the show while I've been on a little staycation in the flats. I'd like to thank you, our listeners, for keeping tuned in. Uh, and for continuing to ask questions. The line is still open, call 486-3181 if you have a question you'd like addressed. I'm monitoring email right now, so if you shoot an email to lowdown at KMXT, I'll try and get your question answered before the end of the show. In the studio today, Dr. Steve Smith from Providence, Dr. Curtis Mortensen from the Community Health Center, Dr. Shanna Theobald from the, the Ambulatory Care Clinic, and Elsa DeHart from Public Health. Thank you all for being here. I really appreciate you coming in again this morning. Um, I had an opportunity to step away for a while and take a little break and uh, tune out the news a little bit as much as I possibly can being a news junkie. But I did listen to you folks every week on Wednesday, which I think a lot of people still do. So I, I would like to start off by, you know, talking to you a little bit about how you're all doing. I mean, it's been five months We've been at this for five months now and um, and, and, and uh, how are you able to navigate this, you know? How, how are you able to keep, keep yourself fresh and, and to keep, like, uh, ahead of the challenges? Because it, it, th- we always assumed that this was going to be over. But now it doesn't appear to be, you know, going away for any time soon schools starting, we had some events in the community, there's kind of some things that probably just pop up in your head and that say, wow, you know, maybe it's just gonna keep rolling. How do, you, how, do you, how do you keep yourself positive and keep yourself going? I mean,
2: I, I think that um, probably everybody's a little bit different in that regard, but I, I think that there is like this, probably as most people feel, there's kind of this level of angst or tension that's like just kind of always there, uh, or has been kind of since this whole thing started. And uh, I think it just makes it all the more important for us to really lean into the people that we count on the most, and and to really um, have healthy outlets uh, to uh, deal with stress, just like we would tell our patients, and sometimes uh, medical providers tend to be the worst patients of all. And and so I think that there's, there's, for me, you know, I, I think that um, having, you know, outlets such as, you know, being able to exercise are is, is definitely one of one of one of the things that I I use trying to, um, even if it might be a smaller bubble, trying to get have those social outlets that you can try and try and keep you fresh. But then there is no doubt that there's um, a certain level of angst or tension that's kind of just uh, always there. And, and in in my role, I always feel like I'm just kind of waiting for. A little bit waiting for that next thing to happen, to the next crisis, moving from one crisis to the next. Um, but you know, I think that that's also um, caused me to lean on those that support me the most, and I think that that's really been a really healthy thing, actually. And I would say that people are very generous, like you know, ec- exceptionally generous with um, doing things from anything like, hey, I can you know watch your kids at the the park for a few hours, so that. Uh, you know you and your wife can go out for a kayak or you know people are very generous with with trying to help out when they can and i've really i think during this time appreciated that even more than than before
1: steve you're kind of used to it uh working an emergency uh, is this different somehow for you
3: it's kind of the same i mean we're always expecting something to happen um but i think this is a different level of um anxiety you're always wondering when the shoe is going to fall but and i think for those of us in the er we try and talk amongst ourselves about how we're doing Um, and i talked to some other providers physicians and and we're all tired of this but and i think it's really important as providers to talk amongst ourselves you know and i'll go hey curtis how you doing or you know, hey, Dr. Burnside, how you're doing and stuff, because we, nobody probably spends a lot of time asking how we're doing. And, and so we really try and, and do that. Um, you know, life is different. I used to get up every morning as a pilot or a fledgling pilot and look at the weather. I look at COVID every morning and then I get around to the rest of the world. But it's, that's just um, kind of the way it is now. and And I think we're, on a static mode right now, nothing has happened. But like Curtis said, we're, we've are we got a lot of anxiety about what could happen and are we ready? Um, and getting outside, going for hikes, whatever you like to do, kayak, I think that's all important for us.
1: Shayla?
4: Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> Excuse me. On a personal level, I agree with uh, Dr. Morrison. And dr smith getting outside kayaking swimming you know being in nature is always rejuvenating i think also looking at the stepping back and looking at the big picture kodiak is really lucky like every time i read the news every time i look at the, the facebook physician groups there are a lot of healthcare providers that are just in the thick of it right now taking care of people that are dying or really sick and so far i think kodiak in alaska in general has done a really amazing job and I think part of what keeps me going is thinking if we can keep preventing this, if we can keep that forest fire from kind of taking over and keep it contained, we're going to be in a really good position. So I think that's what kind of keeps me up on the news, trying to make sure I know what's going on in the world and also listening in on what's going on and how we can maybe inform our community better and keep ourselves informed. So I, yeah, I think personal and just professional level, there's a little bit we can do in each, in each end that. Helps keep me going.
1: Yeah, also you, you're, uh, you, you've kind of taken the brunt of this a lot, you know. <laughs> <Some> really. <days. laughs> no, I mean this is not a role. To imagine, in six months ago, you thought you were even going to be involved in, and now it's like, it, it, how do you get, how, how do you, how I do think, you avoid? I that? think
0: what's the most interesting and probably the most frustrating too, and I'm sure these guys can agree is that it's. It, Things totally shift all the time. You know, everything Mm -hmm. we thought was right yesterday, now we're finding out it's. You know, things are changing all the time. You know, you look to what we thought six months ago and where we are now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like night and day. And so that's it keeps you going. I mean, it's interesting. You know, it never gets dull because it changes all the time. Um, I think that's kind of what what keeps you interested. Yeah.
1: Right, because we are learning something. So it's a it's a new virus, so mm-hmm. th- there's new things that are being learned. Are Are you seeing community fatigue? Are you seeing fatigue within your own organizations? I mean, the longer this goes on, isn't there a fear that um, people are just going to blow it off?
0: Well, and I think that that's true, and I think we've already seen a lot of that. We've seen people who are just really not nice to our contact tracers you know and people calling them up you know people who don't want to to acknowledge that there's that there's something going on that they have Mm -hmm. to quarantine or isolate um and what that means and it's just it's going to continue for a while longer and people are getting tired of it
1: now, what are you seeing in your practices? Are you seeing a, a difference in the response from the population, the, the local community? Are you seeing people still engaged? I think a mixture. Yeah. You know, like um, we certainly have uh,
2: some patients that come in that, well, well, some patients that don't want to come in because they're, they're so scared to even come into the medical facility. Um, and so we're doing telemedicine and different types of encounters, home visits sometimes. Um for those those particular patients. Um, and then we have the patients that refuse to wear a mask when they're, you know, mm-hmm. it's really hard to talk them into wearing a mask when they're in the clinic. And so you kind of have the the full gamut. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's one of the, I think one of the things that's hardest, uh, I think for me personally, but also I just think in general, is just what division um, this has seemed to cause. Um, and I think that that's something that really wears <coughs> on me more than anything because I have mm-hmm. you know friends, family members, people I respect greatly, that are at such odds over, you know, just personally that are they're at such odds over you know what's going on and and that's that's really hard, I think to to see that type of division within our community, within our families, within our friend groups and um, and so i I think that that's that's probably honestly one of the more wearing things of of this mm-hmm. on, on for me is not so much the professional end as as much as the personal end mm-hmm. um is, and so as we've said i think i i can't remember if it was shanner or, or even that said this i think last week or the week before but just i just think it's just a time where we really need to you know support each other love each other and 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 really provide grace for one another uh, because you know i i think that it's natural for people to have different uh, differing opinions and and different things but to, to acknowledge that everybody's trying to do the right thing. And and so, um, you know, having that sort of uh, tact that, that I believe that you're trying to do what you think is right is right for you, even if we can't honor that right now. Like, I, I agree that <laughs> you think the mask wearing is not necessary, that's okay. But, but when you come into our clinic, you're going to endanger our employees if you don't wear a mask. And so, you know, please, while you're here, you know, trying to wear the mask. And I think that those types of... Uh, those conversations are are probably some of the most uh, difficult ones at times. So,
3: you know, and <clears throat> one of the things that we're seeing is most people are accepting of it. They may not like it, but you know, at the hospital, or the screening tent, we basically you can't come into the hospital without a mask on and without being at least screened question wise. In in those nurses and individuals in the tent sometimes catch the brunt of people's frustration and and i would ask people to understand that it's not their fault Um, and usually if i catch if i hear about i try and go out and talk to them in person in the parking lot but there's some of those frontline providers that um, nobody yells at the physician or very seldom but they sure yell at the other people so i'd ask everybody to
1: yell at a physician and yeah come and yell at me yeah, yeah. I'm fine yeah. with that i'm i'm like a duck
3: but you know people are frustrated with it but i think most people are understanding um it is frustrating to see the complacency that's happening because like santa said we we've been lucky we haven't seen anything so we're kind of letting our guard down a little bit um you know curtis myself even and elsa are meet with the school district they're they're asking our advice what do we see coming and so there's a lot of stress with that because we're trying to get it right kids are going to go back to school and and we're trying to call it so that we can and the one thing we do know is if if we as a community wear a mask practice our physical distancing we can probably get our kids back to school Mm -hmm. but everybody's got to understand nobody likes this Um, and we all have to work at it together and I don't, I, we can't do hand-holding and hugs, but <laughs> it would be nice.
1: Yeah. Are you seeing anything new yeah. at your f- care unit?
4: No, really the same thing that Curtis and Steve said, of the kind of mixed approach. And Dr. Osterholm mentioned that about a third of parents don't want to send their kids back mm-hmm. to school, a third of parents want to send their kids back to school, and then the third are in the middle. And I think that really reflects pretty much what we're seeing across the board in the community. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much... Yeah, I think if I mean just kind of eyeballing it, you know what what you see in clinic. I think that represents people's general approach to this in the community at large. but
0: I think that like 80% of families have said that they want their kids to come to school.
4: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Larry was
0: saying. Yeah. So that's a well, that was, and I think
2: that that's yeah. probably <coughs> reflective of the fact that we have done a pretty yeah. great mm-hmm. job in our community of preventing this disease. You know, I think that the fact that people feel comfortable. You know, I don't think that would be the same in New York City. You know, mm-hmm. like I think that it would be mm-hmm. a different. You know, I think partially it has to do with with how we've been able to prevent the spread of this disease in our local community, which makes school a possibility. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think it makes it more of a a safer proposition to start school. And I think that that that's reflected in the amount of kids that there's also a desperation I think for that social interaction yeah Yeah. Yeah. you know I know that my wife coaches the cross-country team and they've had almost record numbers of kids out for cross country and it's like well they're they're just like starved for that you know interaction
0: well and I think Dr. LeDoux is saying that some of the some of the teens especially are sort of like no mom I want to go to school you know Mm -hmm. Um, so they're kind of pushing that on their own some of those older students
1: uh, some of the new information that's coming about out about kids though, does that cause you uh, some concern about kids with the viral load that they're apparently carrying with them i think I think that one of the things that's really important with the
2: school starting is is that there's no one hundred percent safe way to start school, and uh, there will be a case of school-based transmission of this virus at some point this year, in all mm-hmm. in all likelihood, mm-hmm. and so I think that um, sure I'm concerned about that. But then you also have to weigh that against like, okay, what are the what are the detriments of not having that? You know, and I think they're significant. And so you're you're wearing these risks that you don't really fully understand. But I think the best thing we as a community have done, and we go over this over and over again, is that we we've done a really nice job. We don't have a lot of cases in our community. And that really helps us to be able to start school and hopefully continue school. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is some concern. I don't think it's unreasonable though, in a community that has the level of disease we've had to to start in-person mm-hmm. school. I, I think that that's not mm-hmm. an unreasonable thing at all. And I know that, um, as Steve said, we, we've been kind of involved in some of the meetings with the school district. Uh, not all, I don't know all the details mm. that they're they're working out, but, you know, I think they're doing a really nice job of trying to be very intentional about how they're doing it, trying to do it as safe as they can, having plans of what they would do if they did have a staff or student get sick. And, uh, but again, there's no 100% safe way, you know, that the 100% safe way is to be at home, yeah. you know? but like that, yeah. that has its own set of detriments. And so um, I think that, um, it's it's very reasonable. It's a reasonable risk. It's a it's a calculated and reasonable risk I think to to start schools here in person.
4: There is some concern with the athletes and myocarditis and I know, you know, when you're intermixing say football teams at the tournaments, there is a lot of cases in the lower 48 that are coming out of, you know, one player that is infected with COVID. So I think it is going to be interesting to see how all of that plays out, but I agree with what Curtis said that there is you know, as long as there's a really clear plan and what are we gonna do when cases start to emerge, what's our kind of guidelines and parameters that we're going to kind of uh, the hammer and the dance, you know, lock back down when we need to or have kids stay out of school for another two weeks or however long it takes to kind of bring those numbers back down. I think that is exactly a calculated and reasonable risk that is, you know, when you kind of weigh the risks versus benefits, which is what we always do in medicine, um, that makes a lot of sense.
2: Well, and the other nice thing is they do have options, you know, for, they yes. have the online school, they have the homeschool that they're very, yeah. very supportive of. And mm-hmm. so for, for those that don't feel comfortable with the risk, mm-hmm. you know, then they can, you know, they can, they can do that. And I think that, that that's an amazing, amazing to have those options, it's you know, to, year. to, mm-hmm. to have the options in a small town like ours, like ours, to have the, the ability to offer those different options, I think it's really yeah. great.
4: And a lot of families are homeschooling this mm-hmm. year they are, they're just diving into it, which is which is great that they can and feel supported.
1: Okay. I'm, I'm talking specifically about the Massachusetts General Study that just recently came out that said that kids have a higher viral load than patient, adult patients who are hospitalized. And th- that leads me to ask, you know, are, are, do kids have different symptoms than adults? You know, are, are kids slipping through because they don't exhibit the same kind of symptoms, or they, you know, they're they're not being tested? Are uh, uh, the population here? I mean, what percentage of the population here are kids that get tested? I don't know what the exact what, what the exact numbers would be. I think there's probably been
2: less kids mm-hmm. tested. Well, and I think that's part of the reason why we're having it's kind of it's going to be interesting as we enter the fall mm-hmm. and the school year because mm-hmm. I think there's going to be more kids getting tested <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. Um, but it's not trivial the amount of kids that are tested at least through our clinic. Uh, you know, when I look at the list of, of, of people getting tested, you know, it's there's a significant amount of kids that are getting tested. We, I mean, it seems like over and over the studies are showing that kids and younger adults tend to get milder symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're probably more likely to be asymptomatic, you know, carriers are mildly symptomatic. Maybe they just don't notice they have a little runny nose and they just don't take notice of it. But, um, and I don't know, I'm not sure exactly the study you're referring to. I don't know that mm-hmm. I've read that one, but you know, there is some, there's been some evidence that showed these vi- the viral loads in the kids being higher, but I haven't noted that, especially in those younger kids, there doesn't seem, that doesn't seem to correlate at least so far to higher being more than being more contagious necessarily um but i you know that's an area of research that i'm sure we're going to learn more about as time Mm -hmm. goes on that seems to fall in the face of what we would expect we'd expect like maybe since they don't seem to be as contagious that we'd have lesser viral loads but they uh so it's it's a little bit of a a mixed bag i don't think we totally have that delineated
1: well let's talk about you know the down the line thing if you're uh if, if you're a packed household, you know, or you have uh, grandparents living in the house with you, with kids that are going off to school, w- what's your recommendation for how to manage the household so that if there's a virus potentially coming into the house from school, how do you protect the other people in the house? You want to take that one? <laughs> <laughs> hard, yeah.
0: yeah, everybody has to stay away from each other. Um. That's all you can really do and that's probably not going to happen in a lot of families and the hard thing is is like if an adult or if somebody in a home gets um is an active case and they're all living together and can't isolate from one another that person has their 10 days and all of their contacts have another 14 days so potentially 24 days of being um isolate or in quarantine for for those people that are in can't isolate from each other
1: yeah. But they're quarantined then together.
0: Right. So the, a person, so they're all together during that person's 10 days. But then they have to do another 14 days because they could have contracted the virus on day 14. So we, ha- I mean, day 10. So we still have to go 14 more days for their quarantine. So that can be a long time. I so, mean,
2: we've, we've talked about how this, this virus has amplified the is amplified the social disparities, the uh, mm-hmm. socioeconomic disparities in our country. And, and one of them truly is, we know that if you're of lower socioeconomic status, you're more likely to be in a multi-generational home. You're more likely to be in a smaller home. Mm-hmm. You're more likely to have an essential job that requires you to go out and work in close quarters, i.e. The cannery work and, and such. And so there's a lot of ways that the system is not... You're also less likely to be able to homeschool. Mm-hmm, right. and, and so more likely to have to send your, your, your kids to school. So there's just a lot of factors there that uh, make those situations challenging. If you're in a multi-generational household with an essential worker and a grandparent with poor health and a kid that's going off to school, mm-hmm. I mean, that that's like the, you know, the the really challenging, mm-hmm. difficult situation. Perfect storm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Um, I, I don't know that there's a really great answer for that other than to as much as you can to do the social distancing, to do the, you know, uh, mm-hmm. wear the masks, those types of things. But, man, that's that's hard. You know, I'm in a very privileged position to have, you know, being a not in a multigenerational household in a house that has an extra bedroom that if I were to get, you know, something I could isolate down in my own in my own space. You know, it's just it's it's a very. I realize that um i'm sitting in a much more privileged situation than than most are when it comes to
1: if if someone were to get sick from this what does that mean i mean what does it mean for for, for the people that are in that situation though do the best you can is there community resources available i mean how uh, are, are we just anticipating that something's going to happen and then
3: uh,
0: I mean, there are some resources. I mean, if you could, if you, if somebody did become infected, I mean, the best thing would be, and a lot of people do have a lot of family around, so maybe they could parcel some of their family out to other, you know, relatives mm-hmm. to stay while somebody may be, have be positive in their home. There are some resources through the uh, city, through the Emergency Operations Center for um, some housing options, you know, for people that they might be able to, to access if that became a real issue, you know, case by case issue.
2: Um, and I'd say some employers, um, some employers are offering, um, you know, I know we've, um, you know, our clinic has talked to our employees about the fact and, uh, that if, if they were exposed and felt like they had to, you know, quarantine away from family, we would help support them in that. And, and so, and I know the canneries have, done that obviously as well and so I, I think that that there's probably a hodgepodge you know kind of approach to that um now the school kid i don't know you know that's that's a that's a you know different different case but if it's if it's employee employer related then there's perhaps some support assistance through that
0: well and one of the lucky things is really we're in a small community where we can pool those resources you know if you were in a big city It'd be really hard for anybody to get that individual you know um care or mm-hmm. assistance so we're really lucky here
1: so with the onset of schools some things in the community must have changed i mean is north star now returned to being north star again yes,
3: yes. so they've um what is it august the 8th or the somewhere in there they decommissioned that alternative care site where we had the cot set up and oxygen supply and that that um, all of that equipment is is currently in storage and if the situation came up where we needed to reactivate that type of um, facility where we would have where we would need to take care of patients who needed that supplemental oxygen but otherwise weren't critical the current plan is, is that we would use the physical therapy department at the hospital. Um, we would, that the physical therapy would go offline. We would use that as a, what's termed a step down unit. Um, but it's, all it's you can't use the term alternative care side inside of a hospital. So they call it a step down unit for paperwork reasons. But we're set up to do that so that we can still try and keep the school open.
2: And, then, and then the testing tent, which was yeah. previously yeah. at East Elementary, yeah. had just got moved right. over the weekend uh, to Bayside Fire Department ah. uh, to, to clear that space so that the, the East yeah. could start there. So
1: there's still testing available in town at Cana, at the testing tent, and then at the airport. We're working, I don't in,
0: yeah the airport's pretty well I, I think it's mostly that. only for village folk it's pretty well scaled down at this point, but um the they're working really hard with uh, the federal government and the state government to get some more machines in town you know mm-hmm. with schools starting and um, the mandates maybe coming out for more surveillance testing of for instance processing workers especially when we saw what happened at Allatac, you know, um, trying to keep that workforce safe. So, What what is surveillance testing? Surveillance testing means you're just kind of testing everybody to make sure nobody has it. Like I know that they do it in the clinics. They'll test every employee for like, you know, every week to make sure that they're not sick. So they're looking at there's a mandate coming out potentially from the state, um, and we don't know what the final – versions going to look like but the drafts have been saying that they want every processing worker processor um every 10 days to be tested Mm -hmm. just for surveillance to make Mm -hmm. sure that there's nothing going on which is great because then you could catch things early maybe before it spreads like it did you know the cases we've seen where it spread but that's a lot of testing (laughs) you know for our community we're we have a little over eight thousand. Tests ever since March, you know, we're like at 8,600, which is great. That's a lot of tests for a community our size. But when you're looking at an additional 1,500 every 10 days, that's a lot of testing. So, you know, they're working really hard um, uh, with the feds. You know, they came down here to see us and um, they kind of said, hey, if you ever need anything so the UC said hey we, can yeah. we need stuff, we stuff. <laughs> so we're you know we're keeping our fingers crossed that maybe we'll get some um more supplies and more stuff here for that that which would be great so um, our
1: capacity is for testing is still good
0: at this point yeah until we see when this mandate goes in they may tighten up a little bit yeah. but we'll just mm-hmm. see where it goes well and
2: the other part is the school starting you yeah. know like um you know I, I think that um so to your point you know so um we're doing testing every day at the testing tent that's kind of jointly run by the kodiak community health center in canna um and then each of our facilities kind of do testing in like a different way too but like that's kind of the way that that we've as a clinic kind of trying to keep the testing out of the since we're attached to the hospital it helps us (laughs) kind of keep that away from the hospital itself but um I know they do testing, uh, Dr. Theobald and, and Dr. Kohler do testing down their office too. Yeah, and so to there is that. testing available through all the clinics in town. It's just the, the route at which that gets done. Um, but I think that one of the big concerns with, you know, school starting is just like, you know, you're going to have kids that go to the school nurse's office that have a runny nose mm-hmm. and typically you just kind of would, or a headache or, you know, any one of those yeah. symptoms. And typically you might just say, okay, yeah, well, um, you know, Johnny gets the headache every day and we just, you know, have him rest a little bit, give him some water, or maybe a Tylenol and, and you know, he gets to go on his way. And um but now mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't you can't just do that, you know. And so um there's likely going to be a bump in testing mm-hmm. needed at the start of the school year. And I know the school district again is kind of looking into how to best do that, but it may be that you know, that's going to put a, a an increased demand as well on yeah. testing.
0: And they're hoping to get a machine for the school so they could actually do some on-site testing which um, would be yeah awesome. a retired uh, lab manager here in town who's mm-hmm. um has volunteered to come back and assist with that as needed so hopefully that'll come all to come together you so know it's we, all up in the air still but oh,
1: are sorry. we still in the tr- <coughs> has has testing progressed i mean i know that there were a lot of new tests that were coming out but are we still using the ones that we were using back in april
0: we are and it's kind of interesting because we're still doing the PCR that we can send off which is kind of the gold standard but we do have more machines and and hopefully you know the Abbott's have been great Mm -hmm. um, and but we're hoping that even these those are going kind of on the open market so it's going to shift a little bit because before the state was supplying those at no cost and people weren't allowed to charge for the tests but that's going away where clinics are going to have to begin to purchase those supplies Um, but the other testing machines that we're hoping to get and I think Hannah already has one they're just waiting on getting it set up um a Cepheid which has and the hospital does have one as well that have a little bit they're a little bit more accurate and you can do more tests at a time and you can even do several tests in one cartridge um, and then they can also have cartridges available that can do like flu and RSV and everything all at the same time so for the clinics which would be a real boon for them but again we don't have them on island yet except for the one at canna and the one at the hospital so we'll
3: see what else is referring to on the one that can do multiple tests is called the BioFire, and it's actually a respiratory panel that has influenza it has other covid viruses rsv um, influenza in that and we have that available we kind of save that for people who present with Mm -hmm. influenza like illnesses um, We've got to decide, you know, is it COVID, is it influenza, is it something else? And, and they require admission, so it, it helps those of us who are, you know, admitting this patient or evaluating the patient to decide what's the process there. But that's a, it's a an expensive test. Um, it's limited in the resource. We kind of are saving those for the more ill patients, if we can, um, because it helps sort out the whole list of what they may have um, the and it takes 55 minutes to run same with the CEPHID ID it takes 55 minutes the Abbott's are like 15 minutes mm-hmm. turnaround time so you know in the emergency department that has some implications because if somebody comes in and they screen positive on test questions that means that anybody who walks into that room has full PPE on a gown Face shield, N95 mask, or a PAPR, and so right now we have a lot of resources for that. But that forty minutes difference in turnaround time sometimes um, can mean how quickly we're going through our surprise supply. So we're back to using the Abbott in the mm-hmm. ER um, to more rapidly assess somebody.
2: And that's been the primary. That's been the <coughs> thus far, at least with mm-hmm. the testing tent. If you mm-hmm. get tested at the testing tent, right. the primary mode people have been getting those has been through this Abbott uh, Abbott machine. Sorry, um, which um, is is good in that it has a good turnaround time, but you can only run one cartridge right. per. So it, yeah. it's like a single. You know, you're you're kind of uh, running things through, and um, it has been shown to have a little bit uh, uh, a higher false negative rate especially in the asymptomatic patient mm-hmm. and okay. so like it's probably not the best test for people just being screened that are like getting back from travel that are asymptomatic mm-hmm. but that's kind of been what we've been using um and the, the benefit is the turnaround time versus the mm-hmm. state which is the pcr test which Several is probably days, a better or test or other labs but it yeah, takes five mm-hmm. days to a week right. to get back so it, it doesn't provide you with information with in is timely
1: so with the new mandate, it's possible that that turnaround time is even going to be longer, right?
0: Well, it may be, yeah, especially, I mean, people are using outside labs. There's a couple outside labs and, um, that are willing to do it. And the Cepheids, too, they can actually run a, f- a flu panel, too, but mm-hmm. we, that's not going to be the standard, but they do have those. Mm-hmm. But the Cepheid, um, like a 16-port machine, you could put five in each. You could run up to 80 tests an hour. Um, so if we can get several of those on the island, then we'll be, we'll be sitting pretty well. You know, if you break it down into, you're not doing everybody on one day, you know, um, break it down a little bit.
1: So what's the turnaround for results, story. though, on the, on the Abbott? I know they it, come in. The
0: Cepheid is like, it's the same day. It's it's like, like, it takes like an hour. It's an hour. So you could run those 80 tests oh, in about an hour, a little over a couple hours. So yeah.
2: so let's say you had two Abbott machines <clears throat> and you're running them full full capacity. You can run about three tests an hour. On each machine, so that's six. But if you had two Cepheid machines, that can run eighty in an hour. Then you have one hundred and sixty. So the, the capacity the is significantly mm, more. Is there a,
1: is there a lab technician involved in this, or does the machine well, actually the give you the results? They're fairly automated. automated. Yeah, yeah. yeah very
0: well automated. <laughs> right, right. They do have to kind of hook into a computer system, but they but they're very automated and and simp- they understand. They're pretty simple to run. The small, the four port ones, which we're hoping to get more of, um, are about the size of a microwave. Um so it would be in just a. It would. You don't have to have a special lab for it. That's yeah. why we could put one at the exactly. school. We can put one. You know.
1: So, Shanna, <laughs> in, have you seen an increase? In, I, I know you were. You, you were doing a lot of antibody tests. Are you still doing a lot of antibody tests?
4: We're still doing a significant number. Really, not as many because I think the majority of people either aren't traveling here, or haven't had symptoms, or, or don't really meet criteria for antibody tests occasionally we still do it if people say you know they think they had an infection earlier or they were exposed or they were traveling uh, we're really doing a lot more of the PCR tests than antibody tests at this point
1: so w- do we do we have a good feeling or a good number for how many what percentage of our population actually has already had it and recovered
4: i think it's pretty darn small uh, very little small. Pretty, mm-hmm. yeah what, less than
1: with the amount of testing
2: as elsa said that has been done and the amount of positive the positivity rate um which is really low Mm -hmm. i mean what are we sitting at
0: so we have 64 positives positives out out of of about 86 probably close to nine
2: thousand. yeah so i mean that's like a really low i mean that's a Mm -hmm. pretty good sample size right and and you're looking at a really low percentage Mm -hmm. and the vast majority the the majority of those are travel related cases mm-hmm. not even locals yeah, necessarily yeah. and so i think in our population just the general kodiak city population um, not to, i don't want to exclude the, i don't want to exclude the flats here, but but in in the in the general population i think our rates are really really low and i think we can feel pretty confident about that based on the mm-hmm. amount of yeah. testing we've done yeah.
1: well uh, You know, the the long term, you know, the people that have gotten this already and they're talking about the long term implications of having it, if you have a significant case of it, seems pretty dire for for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's give give us the basics. What is a virus? I mean, I, I just assume that if you had the mumps or you had the chicken pox when you were a kid, you know, it you got it and it was gone, but it, obviously it stays with you forever. And it, it, that this coronavirus is the same thing, right? It doesn't. If you get exposed to it and you have it, it's going to stay with you to, for the rest of your life.
0: I don't think we know that yet for yeah. sure. I mean, I
3: think what you're referring to is <clears throat> when you get an illness, a viral illness. In this case, you know, your immune system gears up to fight that in some individuals that your immune system response um, is significant enough that it also affects, maybe it affects your other organ systems. It doesn't just focus on that little viral particle, in this case, RNA, but it could be, you know. um, And so you get some offshoots of that. And I, I think an example is, the reason we get excited about strep throat group AB beta hemolytic strep infections are that back in the old days when people got that it, our body's ability to fight that strep throat infection also there was cross-reaction with some of people's heart valves on the and so we got rheumatic fever and that's really why we get excited about that um, treating that in addition to the just the ongoing infection so The same thing kind of happens with a viral illness, and some individuals, their immune system also affects their other systems, the musculoskeletal, could be the cardiovascular. Santa mentioned about um, myocarditis. So those are the individuals who we really worry about. I mean, it's pretty um, sobering to read stories of otherwise healthy individuals who, like, man, they're affected. The the after effects of that virus on their body are pretty uh, staggering.
4: Yeah. The virus actually clears. Your, body, your immune system clears the virus completely to the point where you're no longer testing positive on the PCR, so there's no more viral load in your body. But the immune system, the way that it reacts, it causes a lot of local inflammation, especially in the lung mm-hmm. tissue, cardiovascular tissue, and other organs. And so that inflammation causes damage and then scarring and then people are left with long-term effects with you know shortness of breath difficulty breathing myocarditis heart inflammation scarring things like that
0: well and i think what you're talking about mike too is like like kind of like the chickenpox virus you know that kind of hangs out in our central nervous system or the herpes virus there are a couple that kind mm-hmm. of do that but i don't think there's been any evidence that this virus is doing that not correct yeah, yeah. it's just causing sequelae things
1: okay <clears throat> monday the cdc seemed to be implying that you healthy people who have exposure to a symptomatic carrier no longer need to be tested if you're healthy you don't need to be tested anymore Uh, and and i'm not sure exactly where that came from but it, it it sure seems like it's counterproductive to the contact tracers of the world
0: well, I think what they're saying is is that if you're in contact, you're a close contact to somebody that's positive, you don't really need to be tested. You're going to go quarantine for yeah. 14 it's days. So there's no point in being – you cannot test out of quarantine, you know. So you're going to already be quarantined for 14 days. So it, during those 14 days, if you become ill, then we'll probably test you or you exactly. will, you know, go another 10 days from there. But um, there's no – it doesn't – you're still going to be quarantined whether you test or not. It's not going to make a difference. I think that's mm-hmm. what they're trying to say is.
1: Um, yeah. I th- so lot just lot don't waste the tests? tests? There's,
4: There's just no point yeah, in exactly. it. Yeah. Basically, assume that you're positive. But a lot of epidemiologists, virologists, you know, infectious disease experts were very concerned about that message because I think that could easily be interpreted to mean that, you know, we just don't need to do more testing, which is not the kind of what was meant by that statement. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it is very important to quarantine presume that you have the infection and then mm-hmm. get tested or that it will yeah. develop because even if you went and tested it the day
0: that you got your call it probably would be negative because it hasn't been long enough you know and yeah. so um, well, it and gives I think, people false security I, and like.
2: I think that um, <clears throat> it's natural to want to shorten that window mm-hmm. like it's natural to feel like oh I can get a test and I, I feel the same way in some ways about like the way the way we're messaging like when people get back to Alaska from out of state travel and they say, I got my negative test in the airport or whatever, so I'm free. Well, that's not what the rule, that's not what the guidance is. The guidance is you get your test, when you get back, it's negative, that's great. You need to still kind of avoid major social gatherings for up to seven, eight days, and then retest at that time to make sure you haven't, you know, developed it in the meantime. And so I think that these messages are always uh, challenging to give Mm -hmm. because if you give, the, the opportunity for there to be, you know, like, Oh no, we don't need to do that testing or you're all safe. Cause you're good. You're tested. Like those are the wrong messages. Those aren't actually true right. statements, mm-hmm. but we, we kind of, um, I right. think we do need to be very careful. Mm-hmm. The other thing about that that I think is really important is anytime I feel like the number one rule for medical providers is you never order a test. If you're not going to do anything with it, right. mm-hmm. if you're not going to do anything differently right. based on a test result, then why are you ordering that test? And that's 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 a kind of general rule of thumb. And so if you have somebody that has a close exposure to someone with COVID-19 and, and they're going to be quarantined for 14 days, regardless of what that test shows, why are you ordering that test? We know that testing is a limited resource. You're not going to do anything differently because of it. And so I think that that's, that's kind of what I think was the intent of what they were saying, exactly. but I think that the messaging gets mixed as, you know, you get further away from it to say, oh, you, we don't need extra testing, you know? So anyways, I I digress. No,
3: no, you sound like my attendings. Justify your test <laughs> yeah. every time, which is a good point.
1: What is, for contact tracing purposes, or what is exposure, you know? What does that that mean? What
0: we consider a close contact is somebody who has been, the infectious period we consider 48 hours before somebody develops symptoms or 48, in an asymptomatic person, 48 hours before they got their test, which is when the viral load should have been high enough to transmit it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you need to be within that person for 10 to 15 minutes within six feet. And it can be cumulative, you know, it could be like over a whole day you've talked to somebody not maybe 15 minutes but you were near your coworker, you know, three or four or five, five minute periods that would count too. So it's those two days before that are considered the contact, um, the close contacts.
1: So if you're in a large room, Mm -hmm. you know, and someone in the room is positive and you're in the room for an hour, two hours, three hours, are, have you been in have yes. have you been exposed
0: yeah that's what they're really considering being exposed and so that's the hard thing with schools you know we're looking at potentially 100 kids getting to be a close contact to one person you know if in, a, in like a high school setting the elementaries are a little easier because they're pretty well isolated in their rooms you mm-hmm. know but the high school and the middle schools sure. and the middle school not so much especially the high school all mix
1: but the, the the result of that would be that if one person tests positive then there there's a 14-day quarantine if on they're, everybody they're, they're that they're was school, in the room yep if they're mm-hmm. at
0: school or and they're close to enough people for yeah for uh yeah it's you see how the schools in georgia they have like yeah. 900 kids quarantined a lot know. of schools
4: yeah. in the lower 48 are shutting down for 14 days now after they have several cases in their classrooms
3: so, so. this yeah. brings up a point <clears throat> that i think we've belabored multiple times is the best thing our community can do is wear your mask Mm -hmm. and practice social distancing and it doesn't matter if you're an adult who doesn't have kids and you go to some business and you don't wear your mask you're putting the rest of those kids at risk for not going to school and that's the hard thing to convey to people as well it doesn't affect Mm -hmm. me but it does our community actions if we as a community will practice good mask wearing, hygiene and social distancing or physical distancing, then we can get our kids back to school. So just because it doesn't seem to affect you because you know I don't have any kids or anything, your actions may affect that whole school system. So and that's the hard thing to convey to people is we're, we're a community.
1: So you're a teacher in a classroom with 15 20 kids you know you being an adult you can probably assume that you're more at risk of getting something serious than some of the kids might be Uh, how do you how do you protect yourself Mm
2: -hmm. well i mean the same way that we're describing you know i think that um you know i know that i was actually over at east elementary over the weekend and i know that they have like all the like they have these logs all around scattered six feet apart outside classrooms so like i know a lot of they're doing going to do try and take take kids outside as much Mm -hmm. as they can that's one one way that you can do it try and find creative ways to get outside now it might become less less uh (laughs) friendly environment to doing that as the year goes on but that's one one way um you know certainly the mask wearing is is important both for students and for the the um teachers it's the distancing is hard, you know, in a classroom, um, especially with young kids, you know, to try and do that distancing, I think is going to be a a challenge, but I think it's not something that I think we're all trying to balance. None of us can be a hundred percent, you know, there was a picture taken of me with a few, uh, uh, friends and, uh, I didn't have a mask on and we were like, you know, and, and it was like, I got so much ribbing for this single picture. (laughs) And, uh, and so I was like, oh, I guess none of us can be a hundred percent compliant with like what we're, what we're asking people to do. Right. Like there's going to be breaks and, and And a cameraman somewhere in the background. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Big brother's watching. Um, so like, I I think it's important to know again, coming back to like giving each other grace, like there, none of us are going to be a hundred percent able to, abide by these, but the less it's a cumulative effect, right? So mm-hmm. like, if we just give up and we say like, no, we're not doing it, then that accumulative effect is gonna probably have really significant repercussions. Whereas if we're being careful and we occasionally, you kind of ration out risk, you occasionally have like a mm-hmm. thing where like, okay, I'm kind of putting myself out there here, but then I've got to kind of come back, like the, that's kind of to be expected. But I think that this idea of kind of knowing what are the risks and saying like, okay, If I'm going to go to this, if I'm going to go to the bar and going to be in this high risk situation, then maybe the rest of the week I got to kind of hold back and kind of be close, like further away from it. And I think that those are the the, the everyday decisions people are kind of making. Mm -hmm. And and the same thing with teachers, you know, the teachers are going to be put in a higher risk situation being in a classroom with all these kids. And so um, that's. Probably part of the sacrifice they're they're going to be making is they they are putting themselves out there because they believe strongly in the education of the kids. But again, we can do what we can to try and protect them by just our entire community being.
0: So what we're going to, you know, I mean, so if a contact tracer says, okay, you, everybody in this classroom is at risk, has been in close contact. But if all those people in that classroom were wearing their masks and doing that, they're really lowering their risk. And hopefully they, nobody will get sick out of it. We're going to err on the side of caution and stay quarantined, you know. But we're hoping that because people have, have done things to protect themselves that we won't see a huge outbreak. Yeah. That's the hope. Yeah
4: there are also waivers for teachers we've gotten some paperwork in our clinic i think it's from the eoc if i remember correctly that basically allows teachers to say if they feel like they're high risk they can do the majority or all of their teaching on you know online through zoom or blue jeans or whatever um, forum they're using so same thing for homeschooling families are also waivers for teachers
1: if the mask is supposed to uh, protect the people that around you not yourself though is there not some way to make the map i mean i'm assuming we're still on the same uh, thought that the transmission of this is through droplets Mm -hmm. and you touching something and getting it into your mouth or your eyes right if if, if is there not a mask that's um or something that you can do with a conventional cloth mask to protect yourselves a little bit more from taking in the viral load from somebody.
4: Some schools are looking at face shields. Yeah. In addition to the mask. these big draped ones yeah, that go or all the, the way big, around. exactly, the big draped one that's kind of like a, a papper that we use in the mm-hmm. hospital. Um, I don't know, I haven't looked at the latest kind of outcome research on how well that works or if that works for kids or not, but in theory, I mean, you're dec- every time you decrease a droplet contacting your face that might be infected, you should be lowering your risk. But, you know, whether or not they actually work well is still, I think, left to be decided, determined. They're super
1: this. cool looking, though. Yeah. I
3: think every time you create any barrier between you yeah, and that mm-hmm. droplet, so your cloth face mask, your mm-hmm. face shield. I know the school districts is working. They're working very hard to protect their teachers and staff they're doing barrier things and yep. distancing
4: glass barriers.
3: you know and, and one of the things that comes out in the little kids they have to see you speak to learn the language so you know our teacher's going to wear face masks so that they can um, so the kids can actually see you enunciate words they um, I talked to a couple teachers who somebody came out with a great idea we'll put a clear plastic mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. shield cut into shield the mask, into your mask oh no that's like <laughs> in a plastic bag everybody tried those said great idea but it did not work um, <laughs> but
3: but i think every time you create any barrier between you and the droplet you've diminished your risks um you know nothing's going to be perfect like curtis said and there's no absolute protection and Gosh knows you do not want to wear an N95 mask the, all day long. I mean, I can yeah. tell you that those are not fun to wear.
4: Some schools are doing pool testing too. So they test the cohort of kids, you know, smaller cohorts so you can test and then identify a positive sooner so that it isn't being taken home. But yeah, I'm not. there's a lot of different um, schools trying different things and it will be left to be seen what works really well.
1: Let's talk a little bit before we close here about um, quarantine periods and, and the incubation period for this particular disease, because the the numbers that I saw coming out of China is sort of indicate it's maybe seven to ten days is the the median, but then in some cases it may be up to twenty days mm-hmm. for this question keeps coming up about how long should you make someone quarantine themselves after they've been exposed or after they've been someplace that's in a hot zone so
0: i mean our cdc is still recommending 14 days um and that is kind of the median you know we know it's the highest if you look at the chart, you know at the highest it hits at about um seven you know like that's why they say seven to ten days to do that test i think it's like at nine days when the highest hits yeah nine days yeah so it's right in there it's like comes up to about nine days and then goes along you know pretty evenly so yeah that's where they're saying you should be able to see it by yeah. then um but nothing's perfect i mean you know yeah. sure you're going to miss some people but that's why that 14-day quarantine is so we have we've seen people who get like Positive on day fourteen, mm-hmm. you know, and get sick, you know, and then they've got to go another ten days. But um, it it can last that long.
2: I mean, this is one of the most challenging parts about mm-hmm. this is like, man, if it struck and it you got sick, mm-hmm. three to five day window, that would be so great because then right. people wouldn't, you know, like that's part of the hard hardship of this whole yeah. disease mm-hmm. process is that people are missing out on work, people are missing out on school, people are, you know frustrated they're going out before they should you know like this is one of the things it requires a lot of discipline and um man it's just it's it's funny because it's not nearly as deadly as like SARS was Mm -hmm. but because it's a little bit more indolent it's hard it's 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 harder to actually track and because the symptoms are so varied um but but it's just it's amazing disease process in the way that like the the symptoms are really varied and then the length of time that, that it can affect you mm-hmm. is is quite long and those those two things make it really challenging.
0: So. And I think most people develop symptoms about three to five days if they're going to yeah. be symptomatic. But again, there's always those outliers. Mm-hmm. So.
1: so if you are a, um, if you're an employer or if you are a, um, just somebody who's trying to expand your bubble, um, for safest practices, would you then demand that the the person who is coming into your bubble is is been through the whole 14 days because it it's it seems to have changed from 14 days to well if you wait seven days until you get your second test you're probably okay come on in um
0: well, it'd be nice if people got their tests like, the three days before they get mm-hmm. here, like they're supposed to. And then seven to ten days after you arrive, right. you've almost got that 14 days in there, you know, um, pretty close. And then even for those who don't follow that, if they get one ten days later, we're hoping that we'll catch those people. But you're right. I mean, that's that's the safest.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: like Just like Curtis was talking, you mitigate your own risk.
2: You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that the... The state of Alaska guidelines, the the ones where you you come in, you have the test initially, and then you have a test after seven, eight days. I think we'd all agree that that's going to catch the vast majority of Mm -hmm. people. But there still is a grouping of of people that develop symptoms, you know, Mm -hmm. like you said, on day 14. And so I think that, you know, I think that that's a that that is kind of a tough call because, like Mm -hmm. I said, we're kind of working off the state of Alaska guidelines employer. You know, I I think that that's kind of what people are looking to. And I think that you just need to be very reasonable about the fact that, like, you know, those patients or those employees need to continue watching their symptoms. They probably should be taking their temperatures every day, especially as, you you know, if you're letting them back in before that 14-day quarantine, they probably need to be extra vigilant on, on their symptom management. They need to be extra vigilant on their mask wearing, like, all those things. because. And if there's a way to keep them in a position that mm-hmm. doesn't have them contact as many people, that's probably ideal, you know? So for our clinic, what we do is, when somebody comes back from an out-of-state, we put them on telehealth. They're doing telehealth until they get through that period.
1: Through, through what period? So, through seven days, through the second test, or through the, four, the full well, 14th?
2: What we're doing is we're doing eight. We're doing the eight-day, like the, the typical like uh, state of Alaska guidelines where we're having to do eight days, and then we, we, we test them on that eighth day. And then at that point, we feel pretty good about them coming back. That's what we're doing as a clinic.
4: Yeah, a lot of mitigation plans follow exactly that. Mm -hmm. There's a variety of mitigation plans that go from anywhere from seven to 14 days. But I think the state was pretty, you know, accepting of anybody in that window. And exactly like at seven days, I think I don't have the exact numbers, but um, from looking at the graph, it was about 70, you're gonna catch about 75% of the positives. At 14 days, you're gonna catch closer to like 90% of the positives. So just the longer you wait, the more you're going to make sure you're catching the people that so, do have COVID.
1: So it, what, what's the practice at your clinic? I mean-
4: So far, I mean, we've been lucky. Our providers are here in Kodiak. We haven't had anyone traveling. Um, we, when we do have people traveling, we're talking about doing the two weeks of telehealth. And then uh, we haven't run into it yet, basically. <laughs> I think we'll kind of figure it out when we get there.
1: So you haven't had a vacation is what you're saying.
4: No, I mean, I've been on the ground here and really trying to keep my bubble small. And we're doing weekly testing of our employees. So we have a pretty, you know, we've all been negative so far. So we have a pretty kind of tightly, I don't know, watched, monitored system that we're trying to work within.
1: Steve, what's the practice at the hospital?
3: So anybody who enters that hospital gets screened with questions and a temperature every day. I think I have, uh, today it was orange, but we get... <laughs> um every anybody who walks through that so if they're obviously symptomatic then they're sent for screening for testing Mm -hmm.
1: if you leave and go somewhere though if you go into the lower 48 providence
3: health system says if you leave the state of alaska you're not having patient contact for two weeks Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether you're an essential provider or not so even though there's five of us who work in the er six when we can convince curtis to do that if i travel down below it doesn't matter that everybody else has to work harder i i'm not allowed to see patients for two weeks because we're trying to protect the both our staff and population
1: i know um We changed the format a little bit so that 10 o'clock is out now. So uh, all these questions that I have for you that have been boiling in my brain for the last month are going to have to wait until (laughs) next week. (laughs) Uh, Again, thank you all for coming in and taking time out of your uh, busy busy schedules to come in and do this. It's uh, highly appreciated. Um, Best of luck to you in the coming week, and I'll see you again on next Wednesday. All right. Thank you, Thanks, Thanks, Mike. Nice All to right. see
0: you.
1: Have a good day. Me too.